Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, again, I pray this morning that you would speak, that you would move in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I mentioned today we're wrapping up a series, uh, began as Encounters with Jesus. It moved into Risen Encounters or Encounters with a Risen Jesus. And uh, we've looked at a number of encounters that Jesus had and the impact it had on people's lives. Today we're going to wrap up the series by looking at uh, two final encounters. Now, uh, I'm sure you're aware reputations are really hard to overcome. If you've ever had a reputation that you didn't want to earn, it's hard to shake a bad reputation, but what we've looked at the last couple of weeks is uh, that Jesus can overcome a bad reputation. We looked at it with Thomas, who had the reputation as the one who doubted, yet Jesus turned his life around with one encounter, and uh, church history tells us that uh, Thomas changed the world, that he took the gospel as far away as India. We looked last week at Peter, who had a reputation as not just being one whose faith was like a roller coaster, but had the reputation of being the guy who denied knowing Jesus. Yet Jesus went to such great lengths that we talked about last week to bring restoration to his life, overcame his reputation, and Peter, as we know, uh, went on to change the world to be a leader of the early church. And today, I'm going to ask the question that we already know the answer to, and that's this. Uh, can God redeem the worst of the worst of reputations? Uh, and so this morning we're going to look at Paul or Saul. I'm going to use those names interchangeably, but we're talking about uh, the man who wrote about half of the New Testament. So in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse, or Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into your city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a man, a disciple named Ananias, the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he said. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask, him, ask for a man named, uh, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for this man is a chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and, to their, and their kings and to the people of Israel. Now, it is no secret that we all have a lens that we view everything in life from. Uh, because of the way we are wired, we see something and without even thinking about it, we form an opinion about that something. So this morning, we're going to do a little exercise 
pull out something to write with or your phone if you want to just take notes. And I'm going to show you a picture. I'm going to tell you a little bit about somebody. And I'm going to ask you to just write down the opinion that comes to your mind, just a word or two. So everybody have something to write on. I'm going to pretend that you do. So go ahead and put the picture on the screen for me, Silas. This is a woman uh, named Ramona Pearson. Uh, now, as I'm talking, when an opinion comes to your mind, just write it down. Uh, Ramona uh, has always been a math prodigy. She began a, a company that the, the goal of the company is to bring about societal change through the use of technology. She writes algorithms that intertwine artificial intelligence with cognitive science, and I'm not even sure what that means. Uh, her specialties include data analytics, artificial intelligence in conjunction with, ed with education, business, and government, and she also specializes in software innovation, design, and architecture. Okay, does everybody have their opinion of this woman now? It's probably something around smart or confusing, uh, one of those two. Now, the power in her story, now that we've got our opinion of her, the power in her story is actually where her story begins. Uh, this woman, at the age of 22, was walking her dog or jogging with her dog, and the way that she describes it is it felt like a bomb exploded in her body, and she says that she literally felt the life leaving her body. Uh, Ramona, as she was walking her dog, uh, was hit by a drunk driver. Uh, she was taken to the hospital where she went into a coma that she was never supposed to wake up from. But she did wake up a year and a half later. She spent 18 months in a coma. When she woke up, she weighed 64 pounds. She had broken over 100 bones. She now had porcelain teeth, a plastic nose, and metal all throughout her body. She could not walk. She could not eat. She could not talk talk, and she was completely blind. Uh, she was actually blind for over 10 years, and they did an experimental surgery on her, and her sight began to come back slowly. Uh, over the course of time, uh, it's estimated that she had more than 100 surgeries on her body. So I'm showing you the exact same picture that I showed you earlier. My hope for you is that your perception of this woman now changes. It's the exact same woman I just showed you. Uh, everything I said was true. But because we understand where she began, most of us, our opinion has changed to something along the lines of, wow, this is a walking miracle. When we understand where someone's story begins, our perception of that story changes so much. And what I love about Jesus' encounters with Peter and with Paul is the Bible actually tells us where their story begins. And it's because of where their journey with Christ begins. It adds so much to their story. So Peter wrote, for, inst for instance, that love covers a multitude of sins. Peter said that in God's great mercy, he has given us birth into a new life. Peter wrote that the God we serve is the God of all grace. And Peter wrote, if you're a believer, what you should be doing is growing in the grace of God. But the reason this takes on another dimension is when we look at where Peter began. Because his journey with Christ began with the words, 
You get away from me because I'm a sinful man. But somewhere along his journey with Christ, Peter went from this place of saying, get away from me, to saying, the God we serve is the God of all grace. And if you're a believer, you should be growing in his grace. Paul said about grace, he said, we have been justified by his grace. We have been made righteous by his grace. We have been chosen and called by his grace. He said, uh, to sum it up, we have been saved solely by his grace. In fact, over the uh, 13 letters, Paul writes of God's grace over 75 times. Uh, and ultimately, he says the gospel of Jesus Christ can be referred to as the gospel of grace. But what is so powerful about these teachings of Paul is we have the starting point. We know where his journey with Christ began. It began on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 verse 1 where it says that Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the disciples. When the Bible says he was breathing out these threats, it's meant to paint an image that basically says this was his oxygen. For Paul, this is what gave him life and purpose, persecuting the church, dismantling the church, imprisoning or killing anyone who professed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus encounters Paul on the road to Damascus, this is where Paul is. This is, this is the starting line of his faith. So how does Paul get from point A all the way to point B? Because I don't know if you noticed, Point A and point B are really, really far apart. Paul goes from this place of being consumed by thoughts of destroying the church to being consumed by thoughts of God's grace. Now that fact alone is actually really amazing. Paul had a reputation as being one who tormented the church, but Paul actually had another reputation. Paul was an expert in the Old Testament law. Paul said he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He studied under the esteemed Gamaliel. He was thoroughly trained in the law. In other words, if you wanted to know the steps to righteousness, Paul was the guy you talked to. If you wanted to know the steps to being justified in God's sight, Paul knew every step you had to take. Paul knew how to get to salvation. And in fact, Paul said that when it came to righteousness through the law, Paul was flawless. But now Paul is at point B where he says the steps to justification. Oh, yeah, grace. The, the steps to righteousness. Oh, oh grace. Salvation, grace, we are called by his grace. And in fact, Paul says, everything I know that used to be so valuable to me, I now consider it pure garbage because I understand it's all about the grace of God. How did Paul get from point A to point B? Because when Paul was on the road to Damascus, he didn't just encounter a man, he encountered grace in the flesh. The Bible says the law came through Moses, grace came through Jesus Christ. I wonder, uh, have you ever been caught red-handed doing something wrong? Been caught with your hand in the cookie jar? Uh, years ago, I received a letter in the mail, and 
uh, in the letter was a picture of myself, which is very flattering. When you get fan mail, you just assume they want your autograph. But actually, no, it was from the DMV. It was a picture of me running a red light. Uh, if you've ever received one of these letters, there's no denying it. There's a picture of your car before the red light, there's a picture of your car under the red light, and there's a picture of you in the driver's seat. There's, it's not flattering anymore. <laughs> there, there, there's no denying it. And if you've ever received that, the first thing you do is you scroll down and you say, what is my punishment? Your first response is to find out what is my punishment going to be. I hope I still have a driver's license. Paul was caught red-handed. The Bible says that he was on the way to Damascus to persecute anyone who believed in Jesus when who steps in the way? Jesus. He was caught red-handed. I wonder what we would say as Christians if we saw this happening from afar. And we know that Paul was on the way to kill us or arrest us and Jesus steps in the way. You can have your Sunday morning church answer to yourself. I'll tell you what I would say. What comes around goes around, Paul. You made your bed. You can lie in it, Paul. Vengeance is the Lord's. Amen? Okay, it's just me. Some of us, some of us might have even said, Sorry, Paul. There are limits to God's grace. Get him, Jesus. Get him. But the biblical account that says that Jesus just left it kind of simple and said, Paul, go into the city and wait. Because the Bible says that instead of God sending his wrath, he sent a believer to pray with Paul for restoration to his sight and to tell Paul, no, God has a calling on your life. Can you imagine Paul's response in this moment. Not only is, not, is God not giving me the punishment I deserve, that's called mercy, but God is giving me a calling, that's called grace. When God doesn't give us what we deserve, it's called mercy. When he does give us the blessings we don't deserve, it's called grace. And if you read the Bible, the mercy of God and the grace of God work together hand in hand. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. They're not to harm you. That's called mercy. They're to prosper you. That's called grace. He says, I'm not against you. That's mercy. But I'm for you. That's called grace. He says, I'm not going to punish you for your sins because it's been placed on Christ. That's mercy. But I'm going to place the righteousness of God on you. That's called grace. The grace of God and the mercy of God are working in tandem with one another. And Paul is experiencing this firsthand. Because not only is God withholding punishment that he deserves, but he's saying, no, I've placed a calling on your life. Now, there's a reason I spend so much time on that, because I'm convinced that too many people in the church are willing to accept the mercy of God, but not the grace of God. And what I mean by that is you're willing to say, okay, God, I accept that you've forgiven me and that you've placed my punishment on Christ. But we can accept that, no, he has good plans for you, good thoughts for you, that he wants you to prosper, that he has a calling on your life. Church, don't just take the mercy of God when he's offering you the grace. 
You know, there is great value in something that Jesus did not say on the road to Damascus. Jesus did not say, Oh, Saul, you had such a calling if you wouldn't have messed up so big and so often. You would have gone places, Saul. Praise God, church. Our calling is not based on our qualifications. Galatians 1.15, Paul wrote these words. He said, God set me apart from my mother's room and called me how? He called me by his grace. My calling is not based on my qualifications. It's based on the grace of God. Nothing about the person Paul used to be disqualified him from being the person God called him to be. If you get nothing out of this message, you need to get that this morning. You need to grab hold of it. Nothing about the person that you used to be disqualifies you from being the person God has called you to be and designed you to be from your mother's womb. Because Romans 5.17 says that God has something called an abundant provision of grace. The word in the Bible for abundant, it's there because it's the closest word we can come up to, to abundance. The word uh, actually means a super abundance of grace. It means more than you will ever need. God has provided for you. In other words, no one in this room is too far gone. There is no such thing as beyond help. Doubting Thomas was proof of this. Peter, the man who denied Christ, was proof of this. Paul, the man who killed Christians, was proof of this. And in case you have me on a pedestal, your pastor is living proof because we are not here based on qualifications. We are called based on the grace of God. Somebody talk back to me. We are here based on the grace of God. Church, you are here for a reason. And I'm not talking about just this church building. I'm talking about this earth. I'm talking about this state. I'm talking about this city. We serve a God of providence. And some of you feel like you, you work in the most secular places on earth. Yeah, you do. That's the point. What if God has placed you there for a reason? Take away the what if. God has placed you there for a reason. I had a new question this week, and it's a simple question, really. Why is Ananias in the story at all? Because God could have done everything that Ananias did on his own. But in bringing Ananias into the story, God did something. God used two people in the story of grace. One of those people, Paul, was the recipient of grace. Ananias was an instrument of God's grace. If you're here this morning, you are a recipient of God's grace. Whether you know it or not, you are a recipient of the abundant provision of God's grace. But you are also called to be an instrument of God's grace. When God told Ananias... I want you to go and pray for healing for this man who came to kill you. Ananias replied and said, uh, do you know who this guy is? Surely he was thinking, they don't deserve your grace. All of us, your pastor in included, have people in our lives that we think that they don't deserve 
what if God has placed us in their lives to speak truth and grace and the same thing that Ananias spoke, purpose and calling? When you walk through those, those doors, I hope you see it every week, there's a big sign that says, love, serve, change the world, start here. Uh, way back in the first week of this message, we talked about Jesus, how he, uh, he focused on the woman at the well. He went to the city of drunkards and he picked the one and he changed the life of the one. I believe we're called to change the world. Do you know how? Through the one. Because God may never put you on a stage in front of thousands of people, but he puts you in the life of individuals who need to know they have a purpose and a calling in Christ Jesus. There is this pattern that occurs in these encounters where Jesus would encounter people, he would change their hearts and lives, and then he would send them out as instruments of change in other people's lives. Now, at this point in this series, just to recap really fast, uh, we've talked about the woman at the well, how Jesus went to the individual, the blind man Bartimaeus, uh, his encounter, the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof, the Roman centurion, we've talked about the thief on the cross, the two men on the road to Emmaus, we talked about Thomas, we talked about Peter, we talked about Paul. In, in ne ne nearly every one of these, they are changed and then they become instruments of change. And it's vital to understand that because we're going to talk about the last encounter. Because I want you to understand that throughout this entire series, the most important encounter with Jesus is your own. I'm not talking about an out-of-body experience. I'm talking about you meeting with a person of Jesus Christ. Because one day, church, you will encounter him face to face. And in that moment, what matters to you the most is not that you know about Paul's encounter, but it's that you, at some point in your life, came to Jesus. You submitted yourself, and you said, God, I place my faith in your son, Jesus Christ, and his work on the cross. If you have not had that encounter with God, don't leave this place until you do. Uh, in southern Louisiana, uh, there's a bridge. It's called the... Pontchartrain Causeway. It's the longest bridge over water in the U.S. Uh, it's about 24 miles long, and in fact, if, if traffic is slow, uh, you could be on this bridge over water for over an hour. More than 43,000 cars drive on this bridge every single day. And whether they think about it or not, each person that drives over that bridge is placing their trust into someone else's work. That's what Jesus Christ has called us to. To place our trust into the work of someone else. To place our faith into the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The only difference, church, is you can see the bridge, but what Jesus has called us to is faith. To trust that Jesus is the path. Church, if you have not had you are meeting with Jesus Christ. Make today that day for you. But Jesus said something. Renee, if you would go ahead and come. Jesus said something to everyone who encountered him. He said, I want you to abide in me.
What that means is I don't want you to just encounter me and meet me every Sunday for an hour. He said, I want you to meet me with me daily and hourly, moment by moment. Paul wrote that we should pray continually. Uh, when my six-year-old prays at night, what he does is, is he has a list in his mind and he prays for mama and daddy, grandpa and grandma and aunts and uncles. And then some of you have actually made the cut, just so you know, he, he prays for Miss Renee and he prays for Miss Barb and Miss Holly, Mr. Joe and Miss Kelly. You guys made the cut, you should feel honored. But what he does is when he runs out of people, he circles back around. Mama and Daddy and Grandpa and Grandma and Mr. Joe and Miss Kelly. And then he circles back basically until we stop him. Jesus heard you. When Paul says to pray continually, he's not saying repeat over and over and talk throughout the day. What he is saying is always be present with the person of Jesus Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus made a way for us to always be present with him. As we move out of this series, Encounters with Jesus, can you, can you just commit within yourself that I'm going to begin meeting with Jesus, being with Jesus, being present with Jesus, because that is more important than every encounter we've talked about. Jesus wants to meet with you. Can you guys stand with me? Your encounter with Jesus is more important than the crowd around you this morning. Rob, if you don't mind, I'm going to have a prayer team just go to the corner over here. Uh, if you need prayer for anything, we're not going to embarrass you. We do want to pray with you. And especially this morning, if you are making that decision that I need to encounter Jesus for the first time, that I need to place my faith in him for the first time, we just want to pray with you and encourage you. If you have any need, they're there. Well, this morning as we go back into worship, encounter Jesus. you and say, He is here. You be with Him. So Lord, this morning we come before you. And I pray we have eyes only for you. I pray that this is a room full of encounters. In Jesus' name, church, take a few minutes to find Him. that starting point. You feel like you're at the lowest place. We're not here to tell you that there are limits on His grace. We're here to tell you that there is an abundant provision of grace. That no matter where you are this morning, God has a calling on your life. 
Lord, I pray as we leave that, God, you would open our eyes. Lord, to see why we are where we are. To begin to see why you have placed us where you've placed us. Lord, give us grace, give us discernment, and give us wisdom. I pray, God, that we walk out of this place understanding we are called by your grace, that we would walk in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, thank you so much for being here. Uh, one encouragement before you go. Um, I would encourage you to take out your phone and to set an alarm, even if it's a silent alarm for every single day. And every time that alarm goes off, it's a reminder that Jesus is with you in that moment that you can encounter and meet with him in that moment. We're good, church. All right, have a good week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.